Listeners, welcome back. You are now listening to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. For first-time listeners, my name is Christine Kim, and I am the host of this program. I sincerely hope to believe that all of our listeners lived this past week serving our one and only God. We live in a generation where smartphones, iPads, and tablets are being greatly used by all ages, from young children up to the elderly. It is especially surprising to see young children use smartphones. No one even teaches them how to use it, but they figure out a way to function it. Very surprising, huh? You see, young kids, even two-year-olds, turn on smartphones and tablets to watch videos, and it seems like they are even better at it than some adults. Adults seem they take a longer time to figure out how to use it, but just after a few days, it seems they use them perfectly fine. I remember when we bought my mom her first smartphone. She had no idea how to use it, and my brother and I had to personalize it so it would be user-friendly and personalized just for her. We downloaded just the app she would need and removed anything else that would cause confusion for her. But after a few months, I found her being able to take photos and videos. Figure out how to watch videos, look things up, and chat with her friends. And at first, it took her a long time to text because her fingers weren't used to the keypad. But now she can even text very fast. I think she is utilizing it to the best of her capabilities. And I think now, if I asked her if she would like to go back to her old phone, she would probably say no. Regardless, child or adult, it may be different for every individual. But I think within a matter of time. We all become used to using our smartphones, although at first we may not be. And it is obvious that the more time we spend with a device, we learn more and more about it. Isn't this true? This not only applies to smartphones, but to many things. Whatever it may be, the more time we spend with it, we learn more about it and become more and more adapted and used to it. This is a very obvious result. Oh, oh, oh. 
years ago, there was a book in Korea titled "The Laws of Ten Thousand Hours" that became very popular. It is about how people go through ten thousand hours of hardship and struggle before they reach the peak and point in which they stand. Basically, it carries a plot that a person will become an expert in a certain field if they invest ten thousand hours into it. I think it has a general idea that if an individual invests time into something, they will receive some kind of result. As I mentioned earlier, when there is time invested into something, although the pace might be different for each individual, it is true that you will know more and more about it. If this is true, I want us to think: Is this same phenomenon being applied to our relationship with God, with Christ? Starting from the person that goes to church once a week on Sunday, to the person who attends Wednesday night worship, Friday night service, or who goes to early morning service every day, each individual attends to each worship according to their situation and circumstances. But what is more important than the number of times attending church is how much more do I know, and have I become to know God afterwards? Am I becoming used to and accustomed to my relationship that I have with God? Because God is the sovereign ruler of our lives, the ultimate planner and leader, when we worship Him, shouldn't we have a more clear and precise vision of our lives? Of course, this is only if our worship is sincere and we hold an actual relationship with Christ. Let's think about this for a moment. After your time of worship, do you know more about God and know a little more clearly about what His will is for your life? Do you realize what route he is leading for your life? If so, that is great. But if not, let's think about what the reason might be.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is The Spirit of Antichrist, Part 1, based on 1 John chapter 2, verses 12-24. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Mark Martin. And we'll be looking at 1 John chapter 2. We saw how there are four categories. Do you remember what they were? Or let's say stages, rather, in the Christian life. What was it? First of all, you start out as a little baby. baby. That's right. Then you grow up to be a child. And then the next stage is young adult, kind of teenagers in the Lord. Then you're young people, young, you know, kind of adults in the Lord. And then you are that mature, yeah, the daddies. And each stage has its particular characteristics. Now, in verse 15, John continues telling us things that we want to know and need to know in our walk with the Lord. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, the Greek actually says, stop loving the world. Stop loving the world and the things that are in the world. Because if our love is for those things in the world, then the love of the Father isn't in us. He's, you can't love more than one thing at a time. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 24, he says, You cannot, a servant cannot have two masters. 
because he will either love one or love the other. You cannot serve God in the world, to paraphrase what Jesus said. So we have to choose where we're going to be and who we're going to serve, and the Apostle John is simply laying that basic truth. Of course, we know that. And then I like the illumination, though, verse 16, what he says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The word is cosmos here for world. And we get the word cosmetics and cosmic from this idea of cosmos, the world. But it's also God so loved the cosmos, the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God loves the world, but the world all by itself is gone way awry. And the Lord is saying, don't love the stuff in the world. And then he tells us specifically what that is. He says that what, what is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and boastful pride of life. He says that is all the world. He says, for all that is in the world, and you can summarize everything in the world outside of Jesus Christ, everything that is in the world in that old life, he says, it is either your flesh drawing you after its desires, it is either constantly seeing stuff and you never have everything you want and you're never satisfied and you have to have more and more and more and more, and it's living for yourself, pride. Well, let's look at the first thing. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. The apostle Paul goes into quite detail when he talks about the flesh. He talks about it a lot in Romans 6, 7, and 8. He talks about it. And then I'm thinking about where in Galatians chapter 5, the apostle Paul, and you go back a few books, the apostle Paul talks about what the works of the flesh are. And you, you've probably heard of what the works of the flesh are before, but as a reminder, let's look at it. Now, the deeds of the flesh, the works of the flesh, Galatians 5, verse uh, 19. The deeds of the flesh are evident. And he says, you know, it doesn't take a lot to, to know what these are, but he says, here, this is what the flesh does. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. You know what that means. Disputes of people arguing about things. That argumentative spirit. Factions, people breaking off after, you know, wanting to cause division, dissension, envyings, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says you're, you're not going to be in heaven if your life is characterized by these things, if that's what's driving your life, and Jesus Christ isn't driving your life, then you are going to find yourself lost because you never were saved in the first place that's the flesh and we've probably all been hurt by the deeds of the flesh maybe immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy outbursts of anger i mean these things wound and hurt don't they and it's pretty obvious that 
that why these things are to be avoided. And he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but there's no laws against the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there's no law. Those are the things like, yeah. I mean, there's a, you never have a no joy zone. You know, you never have laws against peace. You know, I mean, these are the things that we seek after. Now, going back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, he says, for all that is in the world then, the lust of the flesh. So we've got an idea of what the lust of the flesh is. These are, these are our natural inclinations apart from Jesus Christ. And the devil always takes advantage of these natural inclinations when he tempts us. He tempts us through the flesh. So, so you know, that list that we just saw, and there are more things than that, but in that one list we understand that this is the way the enemy is going to come and he's going to try to to get toward us some way through immorality, drunkenness, carousings, anger, all of this kind of stuff, he's gonna try to get toward us, get to us rather. The lust of the eyes. Proverbs 27, 20 is interesting in what it says. You've probably read it many times. But in Proverbs 27, verse 20, it says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied. That is, hell and destruction are never satisfied. And it does seem like in the world that people being lost apart from the Lord and people being destroyed and destroying others, that just, it never ends. Hell and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. That's talking in the Old Testament about the lust of the flesh. You can move into a brand new house. Just don't go looking at new house models, right? You can say, this is it, this is it, this is the best house. We've. I remember, you know, when we moved into our house five years ago, this was it, this is it. And Oh, you know, it was just the most wonderful thing in the world. And now, I, I, a year or two ago, I made the mistake of looking. <laughs> oh, and there's just this... <gasps> Well, no, no. For one thing, you can't afford anything. You have to move in from out of state to afford anything. Um, but the, you can buy a brand new vehicle and in four years, if that long, you're gonna see something you like better, aren't you? Clothes. I love, my kids love to go shopping. They were born to shop, that's for sure. And they love to go, and, and, and they're really good at finding good deals. And they look at me, oh, Dad. No, oh, Daddy. It's always Daddy when we're at a store and they, they find something cool. Look at this, Dad. Let me just go try it on. And that, that's awful. Once they try it on, it's like, oh, that is so cute. You know, you do look beautiful. It's like, okay, thank you, Daddy. And they kiss me and they walk off, you know, it's like... But, but a lot of times the line I get is, Dad, isn't this the most beautiful skirt? Isn't this the cutest top you've ever seen? And I'm thinking, you said that last time. Will it be? And sometimes we've said no. You have to do that once in a while. And sometimes, you know, I say no. And, and, and my, my line is, moms and dads note it, you know, you'll see, you know, there's no end to beautiful clothes you'll always find beautiful things to buy, right? 
you know? And you'll always be enticed by the lust of the eyes. And so we wanna know that it was through the lust of the eyes also that Adam and Eve were tempted. It was through that scene of the fruit that it was good to eat. Remember in the garden? It was beautiful. And Satan enticed through things that God has created that are beautiful, they are good, they are pleasurable, and yet we have to understand that sometimes we can step way beyond boundaries that God has set for us and get ourselves into a lot of trouble because we follow the strong desires of the eyes. Then there is the boastful pride of life. Right in the middle of the word pride, you see the heart of pride in its what? I, I. Life revolving around me and what I need and I feel and I think and how I want to be and how my comfort is. And, you know, that's a lot of the problems in marriages is selfish pride of life, boastful pride of life. If both partners were to be humble and submit themselves to the Lord and to each other, there wouldn't be that kind of always pushing one another over trying to only get what you want. Our purpose in life, the reason why God has placed us here is to live for him and give him glory. That's our whole purpose in life. We're here, Lord, because you love us and you've given to us such a great eternal life. So he summarizes, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. And verse 17, he says, you really don't want to be linked to this because this whole world, I mean, if this is everything you've got, this ship is sinking. The world is passing away. What do we say when somebody's died? They passed away. Now, we understand if they're in Christ, they're with the Lord, and they haven't really ceased to exist, but he's saying this world is going to end, and everything in it is going to end. All that stuff we have, all that stuff we live to accumulate, you know what? It's all going to somebody in some huge estate sale or rummage sale when you die. What your kids don't want, it's gone. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour. Now he's saying, this is something else you need to know. You needed to know the stages of your walk. You needed to know that you're forgiven. You need to know that people who walk around and act like they have no sin in their lives are liars. You need to, I need to expose that, the elder John is saying. And now John is saying, this is something else you need to know. You need to know that we're in the last days. Oh, you Christians have been saying we're in the last days for 2,000 years now. Yeah, and if we've been in the last days that long, we are really in the last days now. You say, well, I don't buy that. Well, you see, Jesus, by his first coming, inaugurated the last days. When the Messiah came, the last days began because he fulfilled those prophecies. Now, 
The last days will end with his glorious appearing when he returns with us to end this world and set up the kingdom. Now, this whole journey toward the end of time is called the last days. There are certain high water marks to tell you that you're almost at the end of the last days. Jesus said there would be world wars. Jesus said there would be famines and pestilence. Jesus said people's hearts would be failing them for fear at the raging of the seas. He said there would be earthquakes. And these things, the idea will be building on themselves. He says like birth pangs coming upon a woman just before she has her baby. And it's not just a birth pang here and, and you don't have another for another day. These are, this, okay, this is it. They're, they're building, they're one right after another. They're not stopping. You're not having room to breathe between, you know. That's what he's saying is going to happen. Then we have other prophets that talk about how in the last days Israel will be reborn in her native land. She will come back from the north where she was dispersed. She'll come back from all the countries into her land and she will rebuild the land and the land will be made fruitful and it will blossom and give fruit to the world. And as Israel, and this is one of the signs of the last days, Israel in the land. And we're looking, you know, what, that, what was that, 60 years ago? Israel went back into the land. I mean, that's cool. This is what people waited thousands and thousands and thousands of years for. It's happened in our lifetime. And then it says that the bear in the north, Russia, will, will be drawn down by God like there's a hook in Russia's nose, the prince of Meshach and Tubal. Moscow and Tobolsk, two chief Russian cities, and Moscow, by the way, is directly straight north of Jerusalem, will be drawn down by God like there's a hook in their nose and they will invade Israel. Why? And they'll invade Israel with other countries like Iran and other countries. Hmm. Why? Well, Israel's got a lot of stuff that no other countries have, especially in Europe. And especially in the Middle East, go visit Israel and then go visit other countries and you'll realize, oh, no wonder they're envious. The hard work of the Israelis has paid off. The desert is blossoming. The swampy regions have been drained and now there are, there are modern cities where there was nothing a few years ago. And this wasn't done by the Palestinians. This was done by Jews who came back and bought that land from people who were just living there not caring about it. And it's very significant that in the last days we see Israel now living in a land of unwalled villages. That couldn't have happened in Bible days. It can only happen in modern days. And of course there'll be this invasion and there will be a horrible battle. God will destroy the Russian armies. There'll also be an invasion coming from the east where an army from the east numbering 20 mil, 200 million will come. The only eastern country that has an army of 200 million is China. Cross across the Euphrates River, which will be dried up. That couldn't happen either, but now it can because there's a dam above it in uh, Syria. And it could be, 
It could be uh, dried up. I'm telling you guys, oh, you know, just go on and on and on. It's reading like the headlines. And they say, well, that's just headline prophecy. You headline Bible teachers and newspaper biblical interpreters, oh, give me a break. Just open your eyes. Read the scripture. You know, why is it so hard to believe that we're in the last days? Why do people want to say, oh, no, we're not. You know, we have to wait. This is the millennium, some are saying. They say we're in the, we're in the thousand year reign of Christ right now. I don't even know what to say to that. Well, I don't see any lions laying down with lambs and I don't see them eating grass and kids sitting next to cobras and playing like Isaiah talks, do you? No, folks, this ain't the millennium. But we are just on the edge. Okay, my whole thing was, you know, it can spend a long time You can spend a long time driving towards the Grand Canyon, right? But you can say, I'm on the highway. I'm on the highway. We are on the way. We are on the road to the Grand Canyon. And then you get there, and you could go right over and into the Grand Canyon. It's not time yet. And so you drive along the Grand Canyon for a while. And that's what we've been doing historically for about 60 years, is we are ready. There is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus Christ in return. Jesus Christ can come at any moment, and this is the hope of the church. It's the blessed hope. I got a magazine the other day from an organization that is, is uh, teaching that we have to go through the, the tribulation, at least midpoint, we go through it. And there was a big cover article on the magazine, and, and just looking through it, it just angered me because I don't like false teaching. And... Um, you know, I, I, you know, they're believers and all, they love the Lord, but, but I still, they called it, they were calling it the blessed hope on the cover. And the whole big thing was about how you were gonna go through the tribulation at least to the midpoint of it. And then after you've suffered and everything, then the Lord will take you up and you come right back down, basically. And I'm thinking, or three and a half years later, you'll come down. And I wanted to write him. In fact, I wrote it on a, with a big black marker on the cover. I, said, I wrote, the blessed no hope. I mean, that ain't hope. Oh, wow. Yeah, I hope Jesus returns really soon so I can go through at least three and a half years of the most horrible stuff the earth has ever seen. Stuff that makes Nazi Germany look like nothing. Oh, yeah, I want to go through that. Come quickly, Lord. Are you nuts? It's the blessed hope because it is just that. It is hope. It is a confident belief that Jesus Christ is coming and he's going to appear to take us to be with him. And when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everybody that has this hope, knowing that the Lord will return at any moment, purifies himself, even as the Lord is pure, because we realize that, hey, if the Lord could come at any moment, I need to be ready every moment. strength my soul this cornerstone 
This solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter. Man. 
listening to Unity in Christ, the English Hour in our broadcast program. Here at Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, we strive to connect our listeners to engage with a community of believers as one body under Christ. Since 2000, we have dedicated our lives to make disciples of all nations through radio broadcasting. We are always encouraged to hear from you, so if you have any comments or testimonies that you would like to share, please feel free to email us at askhsgm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Heart and Soul Podcast on iTunes for weekly sermons. To learn more, visit heartandsoul.org. Please stay tuned as we are following a program that guides us to know what ethics Christians should hold, titled Christian Ethics. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with Christian Ethics. While abortion is technically illegal in Korea, according to Korean statistics in 2005, There were over 342,000 abortions performed that year. That number represents 78% of all newborn babies. The experts say that although 342,000 abortions were recorded, if unrecorded abortions were included, the total number would be around 1.5 million abortions every year. This number is very high when compared with America, which has six times the population of Korea, and also legally allows abortions with about 346,000 every year, and Japan, which has about 300,000 abortions each year. According to a survey, 53% of married women have had at least one experience of abortion, and 30% of unmarried women have had an abortion before. Also, 46.6% of women who never had childbirth have also had an abortion. These statistics tell us that a great number of abortions are performed each year. The number of abortions performed in Korea every year generates at least $750 million of revenue. Now, because of the tremendous amount of revenue involved, abortions are performed on a regular basis in Korea, even though it's considered illegal. By 1973, America had already approved abortions for pregnancies under six months. As a result of this verdict, abortion became legal in all 50 states. Furthermore, politicians in recent years are discussing the rights of teens underage participating in abortion without their parents' permission or the rights of a woman choosing abortion without her husband's agreement. Fortunately, a statute signed into law by President George Bush in 2005 prohibits partial birth or late-term abortion. Partial birth abortion is pulling the fetus halfway out of the womb and inhaling the brain or destroying the skull so that the baby dies. 
Many people opposed this method of abortion because it's killing the baby that has grown enough to survive outside the mother's womb and it's done late in the pregnancy. Before this method was prohibited, abortion was done recklessly and people even performed abortions on the month of giving birth. In other words, the baby was killed while trying to pass through the birth canal. If the baby was killed after it passed the birth canal, then was it considered murder. As with any ethical issue, abortion has supporters, opposers, and people who say it depends on the situation. It's these different opinions that create conflict between people. What position should Christians have on this matter? We will take a look at the Christian viewpoints on abortion today and during the next episode. The issue with abortion is whether it's considered murder. To know whether abortion is murder, we have to know when the fetus is considered a human. As I have stated earlier, there was a time when people considered abortion as not being murder as long as it was done before the fetus came out of the birth canal. As mentioned earlier, we can divide the viewpoints on abortion into three parts. First, supporters of abortion say the fetus is close to human and since the mother's personal freedom is more important than the life of a fetus, they claim that abortion is possible. Second, people who support abortion, depending on the situation, say that the fetus is a potential human and they approve of abortion depending on the health of the mother and the baby or the environment of the baby after the birth. In other words, abortion would be supported if they know that the baby will be born with disabilities or if the birth of a baby would put the mother's life at risk. Third, opposers of abortion acknowledge the fetus as a human the moment it is created and consider abortion murder since it is killing a life. They claim that the life of a fetus is more important than the mother's personal freedom of making a choice. Today we'll take a look at the arguments of abortion supporters. Abortion supporters agree with a viewpoint that says a fetus after three months is a complete human and justify killing the fetus. There are some Christians who agree with this view and point out that in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, Adam was not a living being until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. But the example of Adam is unique and a one and only example. If anything, the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood through Genesis 9-4 and Leviticus 17-11-14. The blood is already there when the baby is formed and develops in the first month. Therefore, there is not much proof in saying that the fetus is almost human. Supporters of abortion without any proof from the Bible claim the following. First, they claim that the fetus in the womb is not a human since it does not have a strong self-consciousness. But nobody can prove that an infant already born has a strong self-consciousness either. If, as they claim, it is okay to perform an abortion because the fetus does not have a strong self-consciousness, then killing a young baby, or going a step further, killing a person in a state of coma, should be considered okay as well. Or how about a person who is not in a coma but is asleep. A person who is sleeping does not have as strong of a self-consciousness as when they are awake, but no one would say that people in this state are not human. Also, some claim that if abortion becomes illegal, 
It would usually be performed in an insanitary environment and expose mothers to deadly infections. However, just because it would be done illegally does not mean it should be approved. That would be the same as saying since prostitution and child sexual abuse are all done illegally, let's say in an insanitary place, this practice should become legal too. Some people claim that since the fetus is connected to the mother's body, the mother has her right to clean out any unwanted part in her body. Aside from this claim being so terrible, it is arguable to say that the fetus is relying on the mother physically during pregnancy. It can also biologically be proven that the fetus is not just simply a part of the mother's body. For example, the genetic structure of the fetus is a unique mixture of the mother's and father's genetics. In many cases, the baby has a different blood type from its mother, and it also has its own fingerprint. The fetus is a separate and unique human. Lastly, one of the arguments from supporters of abortion is that if a raped woman becomes pregnant, we should not force her to give birth. This claim is somewhat understandable, but what we should know is that rape is an evil act which should not have happened in the first place. Paying back evil for evil does not make it good. Killing the baby does not erase the fact that the woman was raped. Also, choosing abortion because of this reason is not even 1% of all abortions. Therefore, abortion should not be justified because of this reason. These mothers could choose adoption as an alternative. In our world today, there are thousands of families who would be willing to adopt these kids and provide them with a loving home. As you can see, supporters of abortion claim that we should respect the mother's freedom and enable them to choose abortion whenever they want, regardless of the baby's state. What are your thoughts on abortion? Next week, we will share other views and opinions on abortion in Christian ethics. Thank you for listening, and God bless.
Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. We say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. I am pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed I am blessed beyond the curse For His promise will endure That His joy is gonna be my strength Though the sorrow may last for the night His joy comes with the morning, yeah I'm trading my sorrows I'm trading my shame is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. These are the very scriptures of John chapter 4 verse 23 and 24. This is a very famous scripture, and one in which we meditate often even at church. But do we really hold a spiritual relationship with God and worship Him? Just as a child or an older adult plays around with a smartphone device, and to know more and learn more about it as they would spend more time with it, it is only natural that we grow closer and closer to God to know more about Him and hold a closer relationship with Him as we worship Him. But why is it that people do not know as much about God based on the number of years they have started their walk of faith, or based on the number of times they go to worship Him? Why is it they still wander without any direction and goal for their life? Perhaps it is because they think their flesh will be a little bit more comfortable by believing in Christ, or their name will be more honored. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God 
but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Just as these words of First Corinthians chapter two verse fourteen tell us, a person without the Spirit cannot understand and accept the things that come from God, and it tells us this because they consider them as foolish. A Christian is one who lives by the guidance of the Spirit by Christ. If the Spirit lives within me, and if I live by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then the things of this world and of the flesh should be considered foolish to me. Isn't this true? Just as the people of this world consider the things that come from the Spirit of God as foolishness, we, as the people of the Spirit, should consider the things and ways of this world as foolish. But how can people who call themselves Christian follow and chase after the ways of this world, which is considered to be foolish? Wouldn't you think it is because they live without the guidance of the Spirit and because they aren't listening to the voice of God? If our time spent with God is sincere and real, then it is only natural that we will grow to know more about Him as we spend more time with Him. If your relationship with Christ has not become more clear and closer even after your time of worship with Him, then you did not worship Him in the Spirit and truth. Unfortunately, and I apologize. But maybe it was just another act of religion. God is real and alive, and He holds a real and spiritual relationship with us. I hope that you and I will all live by the Spirit, holding a deep relationship with Him, and worship Him with everything we have. As we will now wrap up unity in Christ. Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time next week, and God bless.
victims bow down Son of God, you are the one You are the one We're living for 